Matthew uh, chapter 6, starting from verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Then reading from verse 16. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The next reading is from Luke, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to um, the end. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a, a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Thanks, Lynn and Ray. Do keep your Bible open, or in fact, while you've got your Bible there, Flip back to uh, Matthew 6, where we'll start, and we'll come back to that Luke one uh, a little later. Matthew 6, there we go. And uh, there's an outline uh, that Simon was helpfully, and others were helpfully handing around, uh, and that just will uh, give you an idea of where we're headed tonight as well. Well, um, motivations matter, don't they? Uh, actions, things that we do, they're out there and visible and, and seen. Motivations are, are in here, um, unseen, invisible, but they matter, don't they? In fact, you might even say that they matter more than the action itself. Why? Well, because motivations are the why, the, the why behind what you're doing. And it affects how the action, the nature of the action, rather. Consider, for instance, <clears throat> uh, one afternoon I buy flowers for my wife, Sophie, uh, and bring them home to her. Oh, isn't that lovely? You know, uh, uh, the, these, these flowers, these beautiful things in creation that are a delight to the eyes and to the nose, and I, I bring them home as an unmerited true act of love. Or is it? 
Am I buying them? Am I buying them to express my love for her? You know, letting her know that I'm thinking about her at other times in the day. Or am I buying them out of guilt? Uh, because I forgot our anniversary and I'm trying to make it up to her. Am I buying it, uh, them out of obligation or, or payback because I feel like I owe her for the gift that she bought me last week? Or am I buying them out of a self-centered manipulation? Because if I give these flowers to her, then that might put her in a good mood and I'll be able to get my choice on the movie we watch later tonight rather than hers. Motivations can turn something good and right and lovely into something evil, ugly, horrible, can't they? Motivations really do matter. How do we tap into them? How do we affect them, get, get, keep them in the right place? Well, I think when it comes to our motivations, our, our reasons why we're doing things, they usually have something behind them or something underlying them that's kind of feeding them. Like when you put that pot of hot water or pot of water on the hot plate and the hot plate causes eventually the steam to rise off the water, there's something behind our motivations. And that's actually, I think, our thinking, how we think about things, how we think about the world, how we think about ourselves. When it comes to wrong motivations down here, they're fed by wrong thinking up here. Wrong thinking leads to wrong motivations. And generally, right thinking leads to right motivations. And we saw this a bit uh, last week, didn't we, when Sean uh, introduced us uh, to this misery of serving the wrong Jesus. In the Christian life, if we're serving the wrong Jesus, serving an understanding of Jesus which isn't right, wrong thinking, well, that's going to lead us to serve for the wrong reason. If you think of Jesus like headmaster Jesus, uh, that you'll serve because he's got a big stick that you're trying to avoid. You're, you're trying to get in the, in the good books. Or if you think of Jesus like employer Jesus, then you'll serve expecting to get good things for your service, the things that you want. And when Jesus doesn't come through, you'll be disappointed. Or if you think of Jesus like bank manager Jesus, who, with whom you've got a great lifelong debt that you just need to keep paying and paying and paying, well, that's going to affect your service too, isn't it? And maybe you'll just end up giving up because I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere on this mortgage with Jesus. If you think of Jesus like that, you'll end up serving with the wrong motivation. Do you see that, how wrong thinking leads to wrong motivation? Because in a similar way tonight, we're going to see that wrong thinking about people leads us to the wrong motivation in serving as well. How our underlying, our, our underlying our motivations is the way that we think. This leads us to act with poor motivations. Now, just a warning before we jump in here. Um, if we're open and honest, then we're actually heading into open heart surgery here. In one sense, we do that whenever we come before the Word of God, let God's Word 
speak to us. Uh, There's going to be a fair bit of God, truth, exposing the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we're in his good hands. And I pray that by the Spirit we'd still be willing to go there and that by his Spirit and work we'll be in a better place by the end. Because we don't just need this once off, but again and again coming to God's Word. All right, let's look firstly uh, here at uh, wrong motivations that come from others. Wrong motivations that come from wrong views of others. Serving to impress. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, not to, to do your good works, to do your acts of service, to exemplify, to, to live out the Christian life in ways in order to be seen by men, to, to be seen by others. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What's the key phrase, the key uh, part of that sentence that Jesus says? Well, it's the, the purpose bit. It's the to be seen by them. If you're doing these things, to be seen by them. Jesus hits that wrong motivation, number one, right on the head, doesn't he? Serving the rest to impress. Those Jesus talks about here in verses 2 and 5 and 16, they seem to have this down to a bit of an art form. There's the, the trumpeted announcement uh, of their giving. Maybe they're giving to the persecuted church. Uh, it's their, the prayer soapbox that they can stand up upon. So when they're praying out loud, everyone can see that it's them who are praying. And there's the fasting face masks they wear to show everyone their devotion to God. These are the hypocrites, Jesus says, and he says for for his followers, those in his kingdom, are not to be like that. Now, we don't do that uh, here, do we? Uh, We do have a trombone in the band tonight, but there's no trumpets around uh, to trumpet our prayer, our giving. No faces disfigured in fasting. But maybe our signals are a little more subtle. Our looking to see if Others are seeing our serving, our desire to hear that word of commendation when we serve. Just as small as that internal hope that someone might notice what you're doing. We might struggle to see through the externals, but Jesus sees through to the heart. And he actually says that this kind of motivation, serving to impress, doesn't do what we or others might think it does. It doesn't actually show everyone how devoted we are to God, but what it does show is that it shows God how devoted you are to yourself and to receiving the praise from others. Further, not only does this motivation shape a view of our own service, it also shapes our view of others. You see, we can begin to, to measure others by their success, by what, how impressive they are. Assess their value in the Christian community based on how impressive their service is. Turning service and Christian maturity into a competition and ourselves into one another's critics. An unloving spirit of criticism grows though we might only keep those thoughts to ourselves. 
I've heard someone say in this area that this kind of motivation means that when someone else succeeds, a little part of you dies. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this at work in yourself? What's your Christian life like? What's your service like when no one else is around? There's another wrong motivation quite close to this one, still focused on others, still, but it's that of serving to belong, in order to belong. Less focused on maybe impressing others, more on their acceptance. There is a real and good God-given sense of belonging that's part of being in a community. Uh, that's right, as we work together and, and have work in the same direction, have shared goals, that's going to grow and that's good. That's part of our joy in Christ together. But when it becomes our motivation and we're, we end up being caught back up in seeking to earn our way in, seeking to do things in order to belong. Sean mentioned last week, uh, this is a wrong approach to serving God. Well, in this case, it's with people serving to be part of the in crowd. As John, uh, the writer of this book, writes, we fear that there's a better party going on and we've not even, and we've not even been told, let alone invited. When this motivation drives us, we start to be an inner ringer looking for that inner ring to be on, a desire for that. And that desire actually never ends. Now, with both these motivations, uh, they might not be quite you at the moment. Uh, these ones might be more things that you've seen around but not quite hitting you. Maybe the ones coming later on will hit you. But with it, both of these motivations will will actually end up miserable. Miserable now because, well, our, our level of, of Christian service kudos uh, isn't high enough or because we don't feel like we've really made it in we still feel like we're on the outside. Or it'll be misery later because although at the moment everyone wants to skim us a high five and say, yeah, well done, or although we might feel like we've made it in and people look up to us, in the end, Jesus will rebuke our pride and will be seen for what we really are. Why is God not pleased when our service with these kinds of motivation? Isn't it a good thing that you're still doing? You know, shouldn't God be happy with any kind of service that you can give him? Well, it comes back to what we raised at the start, doesn't it? That serving isn't just a matter of the hands, but a matter of the heart. Our motivation matters. It can take a, an act of good and love to, and, and make it an act of evil and self-centeredness. And when it comes to, to service in particular, serving and, and loving others, it takes something that ought to be about loving God and loving others and makes it about loving yourself. Okay, so that's the wrong motivation. But what's the wrong thinking that's behind that, that feeds that? Well, I think in the end here, it's idolatry. It's making people 
our God. Now, we probably wouldn't say that uh, or wouldn't maybe think that offhand, but what we've effectively done is when we're acting this way, motivated to impress others or in order to belong and be part of the group, then we've effectively elevated the opinion of others to the status of a God, our God, our controlling factor, the thing that drives us. We've come to find our value, our worth as a person in what others think of us. And what an unstable place to have our feet planted in the opinions of others. As we saw already, it's a recipe for misery, either now or later. We need to confess, repent, don't we? Do you need to? I need to. Not just once off, you know, tick, that's done, great, can move on, don't have to worry about that anymore. No, continually, again and again. Father, please forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me yet again, Lord. Please change me and keep changing me. Why not make that your prayer too? I pray and know that our good, good Father will answer it. But as we keep repenting, confessing, there's two other things I think can help us uh, here in particular. They relate to our hands in a way, but they're things that affect our hearts. You see, Jesus gives some wise direction here in Matthew chapter 6. He says to serve in secret first. He's not uh, ruling out uh, any kind of Christian service that others might see. Uh, We're meant to serve and to pray together. That's going to happen as we live and serve in community. But if we persist in serving in secret first, we're taking helpful steps in guarding our heart. When we're not serving in secret, but very willing to serve among others, that ought to get us thinking, ask us, make it get ourselves questioning ourselves. Secondly, I don't think, uh, sorry, I think we also need to think hard about how we can grow a culture of delighting in God as he works through us and others. And so directing the heart of our thanksgiving to God, thanking God for others. Sometimes I think we can be so reticent about tempting others into these wrong motivations that we're not quite sure how to express our appreciation for for what someone else might have done. Uh, How they might have encouraged us or God has encouraged us through them. And so much so that I think we can miss out on the joy of sharing what God is doing in and through us and others. The, The joy of together giving thanks to God, our Father. And so can I urge you, thank God for others. When you are thankful for what others have done, why not give thanks, not just to them, but with them to God? Give thanks with them to God. Draw them into that thanks that you're giving to your Father and their Father. Well, serving for the wrong motivation can come from a wrong view of other people, as we've seen so far. But the flip side of that is that wrong motivations can also come from a wrong view of 
ourselves. We can serve because we think God needs us. Because we think God needs us. Now, we want to be needed, don't we? we? We like to be needed. We draw a sense of importance from it. And not to mention that, there's things to be done. There's just things to be done. And if I don't do them, no one else is going to do them. It's me or no one, we can think. I think that's how Martha felt in that little episode we read in Luke chapter 10. Come with me, flip in your Bibles now over to Luke chapter 10. A few pages over. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 10. I'll just read uh, verses 39 and 40. So she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. They had to be made, the preparations. Things had to be done. If if Martha didn't get things ready, then who would? Jesus needed her to do all those things that she was doing, didn't he? Well, no says Jesus, doesn't he? He doesn't need anything from Martha. In fact, she needs only one thing, he says. Martha, you only need one thing and you're missing out. We think we're essential to God's plan, so essential that how could God keep doing his good things here if we don't keep doing what we're doing? There's a right desire kind of mingled in there. We, we don't want to let others down. We want to keep our responsibilities. And I think also we want to do what's in our power to do. That Take up the opportunity that God does in fact give us in order to love others. But we can end up making ourselves, maybe not the, the kind of global saviour, Maybe just the the kind of local saviour, the local cornerstone for God's work here in this part of the world. And if it wasn't for us, well, gee, not much would be happening. What a burden. A burden that ultimately sucks away our joy, even as we kind of think it might bring us some kind of satisfaction in being needed. Do you like to be needed? Do you need to be needed? What's our underlying wrong thinking here? Well, we've got an overinflated view of ourselves, don't we? Of ourselves and our service. How much we can contribute. How much we stand as that linchpin. And I think, correspondingly, we've got an underestimated view of God and his power to achieve his purposes. Does God really need us? Could he not do what he needs to do without us? Who does God actually need most? Well, well, no one really, besides himself, of course. He is, by definition, self-sufficient. What does God say we need most? Not that 
We need to serve him, but we need him most. You and I need his words more than he needs our service. This is a big one for me. This is something that you need to repent of too. We rightly need to take our responsibility to to love and serve others, those opportunities God puts before us. But we are not God, and God actually knows that. We are limited human beings. We need to act and think like it. Briefly, another wrong motivation in our service can be that we can simply be serving in capable independence, independence from God, thinking, we can do this, we can do that, I can do that over there, there's a whole bunch of things that I can do, I can get busy doing, busy, in fact, too busy to pray and to beg for Jesus, beg for help from Jesus. We can begin, I think, in terms of our underlying thinking, to think that What pleases God is productive service rather than dependent service. How often do you choose to do rather than to pray? Usually comes from having too high a view of our own competency too, doesn't it? With these kind of motivations here from a wrong view of ourselves and the ones that we saw earlier, you might be able to summarise all of this together in kind of one, one, one statement, if you like. It's when in our minds people are big and God is small. When people are big, whether that's other people's opinions of us, or ourselves in our saviour-esque kind of status in God's plans and purposes. So what do we need to do? Well, as we've seen already, we need to repent, don't we? Repentance isn't once-off. If you're not yet a, yet a Christian, don't get caught up in all this talk about service and so start focusing on what you need to do for Jesus Rather know that the Christian life doesn't start with our service of God but with repentance and trust in what Jesus has done to give us forgiveness and new life. But we all actually need to know and realise that that repentance isn't just that one time, isn't it? It doesn't stop there but as we grow in maturity in Christ, we ought to grow more and more in a spirit of repentance and trust. Dependence upon Christ. The more mature we are in Christ, the more we ought to be on our knees before him. Don't think you've moved past sinful motives, but keep repenting and keep calling each other to repent. And so together keep drinking deeply at his grace. But further as well, we also need to fill up our vision with Jesus. This is, in fact, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. As Sean kind of said, these first two weeks kind of set the scene, lay things out. Uh, But over the next few weeks, we're going to be deepening 
widening, elevating our view of Jesus so that he might fill all our vision, a a right view of him, a right understanding, and that from that we might rightly view, rightly see ourselves as well and be rooted in his grace and kindness to us. I pray that these kinds of things which I'm about to say might be statements that you can know and hold on to flowing from eyes and mind and heart filled with a right view of Jesus. You might like to echo them in your mind with me as I say them. I have value not because of what others think of me but because God loves me even though he knows the true me. I have value not because I've made it in with people, but because when I was out on the floor, and in fact I deserved to be, God picked me up and made me in with him. I know I have value, not because of what I can do for God, but because of what God has done for me. Not because I was worth it, but when I was wretched, helpless, and had no power to give. And I know that there is only one Saviour, And it is not me. I pray that we might be convinced of these statements as we continue on over the next few weeks. Just one final note before we finish here on motivations. After all this open surgery, open heart surgery today, this repenting and filling our vision with Jesus, you know what I I think? I think that when it comes to motivations, we're still going to be facing the challenge of mixed motivations. Some of us will feel this more keenly than others. Some have more internal struggles over things. But I think sometimes our motivations are going to be at worst wrong, at best mixed. I don't think that means we stop serving. But I do think it means we... Press on with repenting. Press on with asking God to purify our hearts. Press on with seeking to serve in secret first and press on in filling our vision up with Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, his love for us despite being his enemies, his love for us now despite knowing our mixed and tainted motives to delve endlessly down into our motivations is not going to give us the answer. No amount amount of navel-gazing is going to suffice to prove that our sheets are spotless. But rather than stopping and staying focused on ourselves, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's do that together over the next few weeks especially. Amen.